Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. I don't know if you've ever watched our online service, but our online service is unique. Um, It's more of a a video radio show uh, that I host. And on that part of it, we have something called the meme of the week. How many have seen the meme of the week online? Oh, oh, a lot of you. Uh, Some of you, I know, watch just for the meme of the week. And then when I start speaking, you turn it off. And I forgive you for that. And I get it. I get it. So uh, we had a great service this morning. It was funny when we went to during COVID and when we went to online, it began because we didn't have service. So when we started having on-site service again, I had to decide, did we want to just do the, just, you know, put the service out there or did I want to do something separate and unique? And I'm kind of glad we went with the separate and unique thing because it's given me an opportunity to uh, just reach different, uh, given us an opportunity, reach different people and to do things in a different way. We call it not your normal service. And uh, so today was special because I'm in the middle of the service and, and, uh, get, and the kids are down there yelling and screaming and running up and down the halls, which both excited me and flustered me all at once. So I thought, okay, what am I going to do? Am I going to get up? It's live. It's live. It's not recorded. Am I going to say, hold on a second, as they watch me get up and go, uh, not yell at the kids, but to yell for them to at least close the door. And uh, so I decided, you know what? Uh, real is better than fake. And so this is real, and this is what real church is. So I got up, and I went, and I yelled down the hall, close the doors. <laughs> It was funny, and it it both excited me because I'm so thrilled that we have children in church, that the noise they make, it didn't bother me in that regard. I was just glad they enjoy church and we're having a good time, and I'm sure I was the same way as a a child. And they closed the door, and, uh, you know, it was was all fine. Then I'm I'm preaching, and uh, I had made slides so that the people watching at home could see the scriptures and things because they wouldn't have time to turn to them and all that. And I messed up the slides. They were right in my notes, but wrong on the slides. And then that was a, a big mess. And then all I could think of is I have the same slides on the on-site service. I need to finish this service so we can fix it for the next service and all of that. So I come back around to the meme of the week. And the meme of the week was a funny one in that it was, I don't have it up there because this all just happened. So watch it online and you'll see it. Uh, Christ said, I am the good shepherd and my love for even my stupidest sheep is infinite. And then there's a picture, you can't see it, of a sheep with a bucket on its head. (laughs) And I thought to myself, that's me. I'm the sheep out of all of the sheep in the the pasture. And and, uh, is it a flock of sheep? And, and, and all of the flock, I, I seem to be the one with the bucket on my head. And, but God loves even me. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you felt like you were the sheep with the bucket on your head. Uh, I felt like that a little bit today. Uh, it's better now someone removed the bucket from my head. Uh, but uh, I don't know if you've ever felt like that, that you were that one sheep. First of all, you're not the only sheep with the bucket on your head. And second of all, God loves you intentionally. He chooses to love you. He loves you passionately. And he loves you 
And he showed his love and didn't just speak his love by offering his son on the cross. Let that be an encouragement to you today because we're going to look at David, the life of David. And I'm going to talk about how and what made him and why we think of him as a, a man after God's own heart. But for those of us that have been in church and know the story of David, know that David wasn't perfect either. But that same God that chose him and that loved him uh, forgave him, forgave him. And we're going to lead to that. So this morning, we're going to pick up our story in 1 Samuel uh, uh, where Saul had been rejected as king because of his disobedience. And David now in, ver in chapter 16 was going to be anointed as the new king. And so if you know the story, Samuel shows up. It's, it's kind of funny. Samuel shows up in the town of, does anybody know? It's a trivia question for you. Where did David live? What's that? In Bethlehem. Who said that? Oh, Joe. Okay. All right. Yeah, he lived in Bethlehem, which I think is kind of neat, which I'm not going to preach on, but you can take that further uh, in that. He shows up in Bethlehem, and Samuel showed up, and the elders were, were terrified. Oh, no. Why is he here? What, what happened? And so he said, no, 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 prepare a feast. And God said, you're going to anoint one of Jesse's sons as the king. And so, uh, and he said that this new king was going to have a heart after mine. In fact, let me just share it. It's in Acts. You don't have to turn there, but Acts 13, 22. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And here's what that means. He will do everything I want him to do. That's what it means. Saul wanted to do what he wanted to do. David wanted to do what God wanted him to do. And again, don't jump too far ahead. We know that he didn't always do that, but I'll get to that. But on the inside, David really wanted to do what God wanted him to do. And I think you're here today and those that were watching online earlier are here because you want to do what God wants you to do. I read an article this week about why uh, Christians are attending church less than ever. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, you know, there's, uh, don't underplay uh, uh, affluency, that we have more money than, than our uh, ancestors did, okay? And so with money comes more options. I, I remember, too, as a kid, I was talking to my brother about it. When we were growing up on Sunday night service, we had a film projector that had a reel. Do you remember those? And they would click. Well, when there was a movie night at church, that was a big deal. I mean, everybody came to church. Why? To see a movie, because the only place you could see a movie was in the theater. You didn't have VHS. If you don't know what VHS is, ask your parents. They know. Uh, and then, you know, DVD. And now we don't even have DVDs, right? We stream everything. But back in that day, to show a movie was, was huge, was huge in that. So affluency has brought different things. There's, there's more things going on on Sundays than have ever happened before. There's more sports programs. But, but there's this thing, it's, it's a newer term that I heard, and it's, it's not atheism, but it's apathyism. That's even more scary to me. It's even more scary to me that those that know still don't have a heart for God. 
And I'm commending all of you because I know that all of you have other things to do. But you have determined in your heart that church is important because God is important. And even those that watched online, they still took their time at 9.45 in the morning to listen to a pastor that had to get up and yell at the kids that closed the door, that messed up the slides, and they watched all the way through. Because I saw how many started and how many ended, and I get the, the things for that. It's a heart after God. That's a great thing. And I commend you on that. And I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Because this, this apathyism is growing and growing and growing. That now we live, we don't, we, we have every, I, I, I know some might be struggling, I, I get all of that. But, but we live in an area where we have everything we need and more. If we want to go out to eat, we can go out to eat. If we want to go to, you know, grab a special coffee, we can go grab a special coffee and all that. I'm thankful for all that. I'm not ready to give up anything that God has given me that makes my life easier. Um, if you want to go back to that, no problem. Disconnect your electricity, knock yourself out. Personally, not going to do it. But I want to make sure that all of the things I have don't keep me from the one thing that's most important in my life. And recognizing that all that I have is because of the one that has given it all. I don't apologize for the blessings of the Lord, and you shouldn't either. He created everything for you to be enjoyed as his children. But don't let those things, even the blessings that he's given, lead us to apathy. I think all of you here today, you have a heart that wants to serve and follow God. And that's a good and a wonderful thing. David had that heart. Was he perfect? Nope. Are you perfect? Uh, no, just checking. And, and me either, me either. But at the end of the day, I want to serve and follow God. And I think you want to do that too. And here's some characteristics of the heart that we need to hold on to so that we continue to have a heart after God. I'm going to walk you through, I think, eight of them. I tried to narrow it to three. That was impossible. I thought seven was the God's perfect number, but I couldn't even get it down to seven because I think they're all important in that. And so we'll have it on there. Now, all of these and the, the scriptures that we use are Psalms of David. So when we list this characteristic... It's coming from a psalm that he wrote, out of the abundance of his heart, the, the mouth speaks. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever written music or not, or if you're musical in that way. I, I don't write music or whatever. I like to sing along the best I can. But I know that those that write music, and it touches your heart because it comes out of their heart. It's a heart issue. And David had uh, issue meaning a good thing. It's a, it comes out of the heart. Well, David was a lot like that. And these things that he talks about, how he wants to have a heart after God and the characteristics of a heart after God, come from his heart and the passion that he has. So let's take a look, take a look at this and what God has for us. First of all, David was humble. Now, I'm jumping ahead in my notes, a couple pages there, uh, just because I, I am. But the first one is uh, humble, humble. When we first hear about David in Scripture, what was he doing? Shepherding. Good job, bad job? Bad job. No, bad job. It was a job that no one else wanted to do, right? He was the youngest. None of his older brothers wanted to do it. It fell on him. In the New Testament, the shepherds were so unreliable, they weren't allowed to testify in court. I mean, they were the thieves and all that stuff. Being a shepherd, 
being by yourself, taking care of sheep was not a great, great deal. But he did it, and he did it faithfully. See, in his heart, he was humble. Now, what does humility mean? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. Ever heard that? Humility is not thinking less of yourself like I'm terrible, I stink, I'm, you know, rotten. It's thinking about yourself. Just don't think so much about yourself. Think about God and others. That's part of a humble spirit. Humility is not thinking poorly of yourself. It's recognizing that you're not better than anyone else. That's all. That's what humility is. We're all here. We're in a church where I was talking. Uh, Bill did our getting to know you on Sunday or on Wednesday. And he talked about how as soon as they walked into the door, they felt like this was home to them. And I know some of you others have used the same exact word. And I said to him, it's the craziest thing about our church. We love God and we love each other. Isn't that crazy? And that's like a literal thing that we actually love God and we actually love each other. And don't take that for granted. Because not every church is like that. Churches are struggling now. They are struggling. Because of COVID, because of apathy, because of unfaithfulness and giving and all of that. Pastors are leaving in droves. Churches are closing by the thousands. Uh, COVID just accelerated what already was happening. And I just, this is why I, I told you about the offering and stuff. I just can't tell you how excited I am to be the pastor of, of Hope Assembly. Uh, I'm not looking to leave. I'm not burned out. I'm not overstressed. I'm not troubled. Um, there's more that we want to accomplish, and we're going to keep moving forward because I can't let you stay in the past or stay in today because then we'll be the church that dies for the next generation. That's how it works. You either grow or die. You understand that, right? Every church gets what they want. You understand that, right? Like if you want to know everybody, well, you'll get that, and there'll be five of you, and you'll know everybody. You want to sit in your seat and nobody takes it, you'll get that. There'll be 20 people in church, but you'll have your seat. You see what I'm saying? And so we have to keep this humble spirit. We're not better than anyone else, but God has been good to us, and we give him the glory and the honor for that. Charles Stanley says this, Humility isn't seeing ourselves as worthless, but seeing the Lord as worthy of service, no matter what assignment he gives us. Thank God for our people that work behind the scenes, that do some of the jobs that no one else wants to do. We were here yesterday. I was in my office finishing. Uh, actually, what I was doing was mangling my slides. I didn't realize it till this morning, but mangling my slides... Uh, Pastor Rowe was here getting ready uh, for Sunday. Justin was uh, working on one of the, the doors for the new uh, flooring up there. He was shaving that. Uh, Michaela and Kelly were cleaning. And I was looking for Kelly, and I found them in the men's room, and she was cleaning the men's toilet. And I felt like I was in the presence of greatness because of the humble heart that she has, gifted, talented, used by God in so many ways, and on a Saturday morning, she was doing that. That's, that's humility. That's humility. And God has great, and Justin, and Pastor Roe, and all of them, they just, and Pastor Joe, he wasn't here, but he was serving God. We worked on Wednesday on Friday, taking time out of his day to make sure everything was set for Wednesday night, because I'm not going to be 
be online. He's going to do it, making sure. And I can go on and on. They're children's workers that leave the service. They don't get to be part of the service because they want to, they want to minister to God. They're sound people or people that do the, the lawn. I mean, all the behind-the-scenes things. That's a heart after God. It's a heart after God. Humility. Number two, I won't take as long on all of these. Uh, well, what's a word you would use to describe David? If I, just throwing that out like a Sunday school class. What's a word you would use? What, what's that? Brave. A brave is a good one. I'm going to get to that on another week, but yeah. But now that's very good. Courageous, brave, I think that too. Honorable. Let me throw this word out to you. Who wrote most of the Psalms? Oh, David, we would call him a worshipful guy, right? He was worshipful. He says this, I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. I call to the Lord who is worthy, worship, worthy. David was a worshiper in his heart. Now, what's the most famous psalm? Does anybody know that? The 23rd Psalm. And what's the beginning of it? The Lord is my what? And what did David do for a living? Where did he learn about God being a shepherd? As a shepherd. Well, he was doing a job no one else wanted to do. He looked at God and said, wow, God looks after me like I look after these sheep. Even the sheep with the bucket on their head. I'll go take that bucket off. That's how much God loves me. And then he wrote this one, Psalm 19. Anybody know that off the top of your head? You get a prize if you get, if you get that one. You'll know it as soon as I start. The heavens declare the glory of God. Where did David get that from? He maketh me lie down in green pastures. David laying down uh, in green pastures, uh, having put his sheep to rest for the night and looking up at the stars and saying, wow, I can see the glory of God even in this. He was a worshiper. He was a worshiper at heart. Now Saul, King Saul, pretty much worshiped himself later on in life. And that brought his downfall. He was king. He wanted to be priest. He was told to wait. and He didn't want to wait. He was told don't offer a sacrifice. He wanted to offer sacrifice. The other side of it with David, you see the contrast there, is David had a heart after God, and this heart was a worship, worshipful heart. I praise you in Psalm 9-1, O Lord, with all my heart. I praise you with all my heart. With the depth of my being, I praise you, and I will tell of your wonders. That's a worshipful heart. That's a heart that God can use. He had a reverent fear of the Lord. Reverent fear of the Lord. Psalm 31, 9. Are the scriptures up there behind me? Okay. Uh, Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. Maybe you've been there. My eyes grow weak with sorrow that you've cried so much that you can't see clearly anymore. Have you ever been there? I've been there. My soul and my body that every part of my being is just affected by the circumstances that I'm going through. And what did he do in those times? He called out to God, be merciful to me, O Lord. Now, this is kind of a funny thing, but you'll hear people, not, not, uh, hopefully not uh, mature, more mature Christians, but I don't like to refer to God as the big guy or the big guy in the sky. Because I go back to Isaiah chapter 6, and when Isaiah, who knew God, went into God's presence, he wasn't thinking, oh, here's the big guy. I was waiting for him to invite me. Don't think that's how it works. 
there's something that needs to be, even though that we're casual in, in how we approach church, and even I use humor and different things like that, very serious about God, very serious about the things of God. And I've told you this before, I kind of look at it like this. I don't take myself too seriously, but I take God very seriously. And David had that reverence for God. And this fear of God, that God is greater than I am. And God can do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. And yet he's chosen to love me, even though I'm a sheep with a bucket on my head. That God deserves reverence and honor and a proper place in our heart. I think as believers, sometimes we need to be careful what we blame God for. That might not show proper reverence for God as well. So be careful in that. These are some of the areas that the enemy works in our hearts and in our lives. Again, we've talked about this. We're probably not going to go to Kavanaugh's after church and fall down sloppy drunk. But if the enemy can get us to doubt the goodness of God, he's already got a foot in towards our heart. If he can use anger about something that's happened in our life that's unresolved, he's got a foothold that can lead to a chokehold that would ultimately lead to our spiritual death. So we have to be careful of these things, this reverence for God. He knew that the only place he could receive mercy was before God Almighty. And he said, God, be merciful to me. I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it. What I need, is, I don't need you, God, to be fair. I need you to be merciful. And none of us need God to be fair. We need him to be merciful and gracious. And that was David's heart. Psalm 31, 7, I will be glad and rejoice in your unfailing love. For you have seen my troubles and you care about the anguish of my soul. Now, that's a songwriter's wording, the anguish of my soul. That's more than I'm having a bad day. Me, I would be like, how you doing? Uh, I, somebody would ask me, how you doing? I'd be like, eh. That's all the poetry I have in my heart. It's about an eh. David writes it like this, you care about the anguish of my soul. Reverence. Number four, he had a trusting heart. Trusting heart. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I what? Fear. Ever, they, they say I've never counted it out because before I got to 365, I'd be distracted and have to keep starting over again. But they say there's 365 times mentioned in Scripture not to fear. One for each day of the year. I don't know if you've heard that or not. But fear is a constant battle that humanity faces. And that's because of sin. And I don't mean cause and effect sin. But just because we live in a sinful world, all of us have to deal with fear. And there's a lot of frightening things out there. But here's what helped David through all of this. He looked to the Lord. You're my light. Contrast. In, in darkness, and I can't see what's going on, and I don't know why things are going on the, the way they are, and I'll use Justin as an example. In a year and a half of you know, being unemployed, and none of these, it seemed dark. But he looked to God. God, you are my light. And whatever company and corporation he's working for, uh, which is fine and good, but I'm not, I don't want to just use the name out loud. Uh, they weren't your salvation anyhow. Justin, when he gave testimony, never gave praise to that corporation. He gave praise to God. 
Because the Lord was his light in the midst of darkness, and the Lord is my salvation. He's the one that meets my greatest needs. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I? Now, that's easy to say when you've been through the battle, when you're on the other side of it. Sometimes it's hard in the middle of darkness. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I'm not afraid of the circumstances, and I'm not afraid of any person because I fear the Lord. He trusted in the Lord. Now, if we looked at his life as a whole, David had a lot of things to be afraid of. We haven't even gotten to Goliath yet. I don't know if I'll touch on David and Goliath in this series because we're familiar with that. Anyway, he wasn't even old enough to be in the army. That's why he was still with his dad. He was a messenger boy. And, but when he saw Goliath, he said, something needs to be done. And so he, it says in Scripture, 1 Samuel 17, he ran to Goliath. He didn't run away from Goliath. That was Saul and his brothers and the rest of the uh, army. David ran towards Goliath because he understood, whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold. I trust in him. After Goliath, and he became you know, somewhat famous, and they wrote songs about him, Saul, who was demon-possessed, was jealous and murderous and wanted to kill David. David had a lot to fear. Saul used all of his power, the government, the armies of Israel, to pursue David. And yet David writes these things. His men turned against him when they lost a battle because he made a poor decision. But he found strength in the name of the Lord. Uh, he was ruling a nation. A lot of fears and battles that he fought. Absalom, his own son, turned against him, which is an interesting story in 2 Samuel. But he writes this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He had a loving heart. Verse or number 5. <laughs> It's, it's this simple, Psalm 18. I love you, Lord. I love you, O Lord, my strength. That's a great song. It, maybe that's how we should end each day. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Maybe that's how we should begin the day. I, I, I love you, O Lord, my strength. When I was growing up, we had tremendous men of God in our church, my father being one of them, tremendous man of God, tremendous leader, passionate for God. Um, And, you know, my dad would pray. We would have public prayers, and he'd pray at the altar and and, and all of those things. And those were all impactful to me. But what impacted my life the most with my father was the day in and day out love for God, his family, and willing to serve in whatever capacity called him to do. And the reason I say all of that is, is it doesn't, you don't have to use a lot of words to try to impress people with your prayers. Jesus taught that. Elijah showed us that in the prophets of Baal. You can say a few words from here that means so much more because just as God is not impressed with the outward appearance but he looks on the heart 
He's also not impressed with any type of religiosity that we try to muster to impress God or impress other people because he goes past all of our words and right to our heart. And here was David in just this simple phrasing, I love you, O Lord, my strength. David was a passionate man. We know that that ended up getting him in trouble. He had a passion for a woman that ended up outweighing his passion for God. But he was passionate in his love for God. He danced before the Lord. He praised the Lord with abandon. He had a loving heart. Number six, hopeful. This is one of my favorites. He had a heart filled with hope. Surely goodness and love, or we know it as mercy, will follow me all the days of my life. And I will what? Dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. He knew that someday he would be with the Lord forever. That's what hope is. If you want to narrow down what is hope, hope is that we know that someday we will be with the Lord forever and ever. Where there will be no more crying, no more tears, and no more pain. Uh, one of our online services on a Wednesday or a Sunday, I don't remember what it was, and I was asking people what their favorite book of the Bible was, and one of the people wrote, I love the book of Revelation because I love to read about heaven. And I loved, I loved that theologically, practically, in every way, because a person wasn't intimidated by what they didn't know. They were blessed by what they did know. And they knew that their hope was heaven, and that's what they like to read about. Awesome. That's a hopeful heart. If your hope is in this world, there is no hope. But if your hope is in the next life, eternal life, then you will have the strength to make it through this life. Do you understand? How do you get through the day-to-day struggles? By thinking of tomorrow's blessings. Paul wrote it something like this. No matter what you're going through now, doesn't compare to the blessings that God has in store for you. That's a bit of a Sabella paraphrase, but that's the gist of it. What helps us through the difficult times? The hope of tomorrow. The hope that for a Christian, our best days are always ahead. When I came to the church as the pastor here, I was 32 years old, which was way too young to have the responsibility that I had. Now, I still act like I was, am a teenager, but I'm not anymore, okay? Um, but 32 years old, and God just kept impressing upon my heart, because one of my fears was, can I do this, first of all, because I had never been in a situation like this before. My other fear was, these people have served God longer than I've been born, faithfully, and have trusted God in ways that I've not, because I've not been through half of what they've been through. Can I lead them, and can I teach them anything? And that's, it was something, something that, I, that I struggled with, but God, and, and, and the other thing was, you know, there was, and I don't mean this in a negative because we're, we're celebrating our 100th year. I mean it in a positive. There's so many great years behind. God helped me to lead forward. And here's the phrase he gave me. And when I first came, I used it all the time. Our best days are ahead. 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 And I still believe that. Our best days as a church are ahead. That's why we chose for our theme verse for the 100th year is thus far the Lord has helped us. Meaning he's helped us in the past and thus far and then he will help us into whatever is next. And that began to alleviate a lot of my fears of pastoring. 
that our best days are ahead. Our best days are ahead as a church, and we've seen it. We've seen what God has done, and we'll review and continue to review some of those in the next few weeks. Our best days are ahead. But can I tell you as a person, your best days are ahead. Because as a believer, your best days are always ahead. Because what lies ahead of us? Heaven. Heaven. Death is just an avenue that God uses to give us eternal life. Death doesn't win in the end. You understand that, right? The grim reaper is not coming after you. Life is coming after you. You catch that? Jesus died for your sins so we're forgiven, but he rose again that we might live with him for eternity. Don't look over your back. Here comes the grim reaper. Look forward. Here comes life. That's what God has for me. We're afraid of the process of dying. I get that. But don't be afraid of death because death doesn't win. Jesus defeated death. What lies ahead is life. So don't think of your life as some cartoon that the Grim Reaper has his sickle or whatever that thing is and he's coming to get you. You know, you look forward with hope in your, not just your eyes, but hope in your heart that says death isn't going to win. Life wins and therefore my best days are ahead of me and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A hopeful heart is a heart after God. Those that long for his appearing, the New Testament tells us. Number seven, obedient. Psalm 119, almost every verse in there mentions the law, his statutes, uh, whatever. He writes this, give me understanding and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. And I will obey it with all my heart. A heart after God. I want to do what God wants me to do. And I think you're here today and I think deep down that's what you want. But what about when we don't do what God wants us to do? What about when we choose to go against his will and his way? And what about when we go against his plans? And I put obedient right before the last one, number eight, which is a repentant heart. See, what separated David ultimately from King Saul is not that they were perfect, but you never find Saul, King Saul, repenting. Remember when he was caught in sin? It's the men's fault. They were fleeing. It's Samuel's fault because uh, he waited too long. It's God's fault. It's uh, Jonathan's fault. It's David's fault. Never once did he blame himself for his own problems. Never once did he repent before God. But David had a repentant heart. He had a repentant heart before the fall. And you know the story of Bathsheba and all of that, okay? Uh, before that, he said, For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. None of us are going to live perfectly. We haven't even lived perfectly today. It's possible that we sinned while we were sleeping in our dreams. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to know. But I'm just saying we need something besides saying, you know, my heart is after God. What happens when we do fail God? Well, a heart that had all of these things will also be a heart that's repentant, that calls out to God, for the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. After the fall, after Bathsheba, watch what he writes in Psalm 51 
And watch this. Watch the contrast between Saul, where everything was everybody else's fault. Watch this. Psalm 51, 1 through 7. It's not up there. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Watch. Not because I deserve it, but because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Verse 2. Wash me. Cleanse uh, wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. All sin is against God. His goodness and his character and his nature. Every time that we willfully sin, we say, God, you're not good. And I have a better plan. That you're holding something back from me, and I think my way is better than your way. That's at the root. Go back to Adam and Eve if you don't believe that's true. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. I mean, he, create, I mean, he, he sinned so drastically. He was supposed to be out with the other kings in battle, he let pride get in the way and said, look at all my kingdom and look at all that I've accomplished. He saw Bathsheba. He lusted after her and wanted her, brought her to the palace. Now, remember, he's the king. Life and death brings her, sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. He says, I'm in trouble now. I know I'll get her husband to come home, Uriah. Now think of this. I'll get the husband to come home, and then he'll be with his wife, and they'll think it's before DNA testing, they'll think it's his child. Uriah comes off the field, slept at David's doorstep because he felt that it wasn't right that he would be with his wife while the other men are in battle. David says, man, my plan, what am I going to do now? I'll call the generals, tell them to put Uriah on the front line and pull back. That's exactly what they did, and Uriah was killed. Premeditated murder. Adultery. Murder. I mean, these are some of the worst sins in our minds that we could possibly think of. And the reason I'm telling you all of this is because God, God's grace is enough for the worst of sinners and for the best of people. You're never too good for God's grace and you're never too bad for God's grace either. And I think David died forgiven. I think he died broken because of the natural... This is something I have to talk to you about. Because of the natural consequences of his own decisions... Now, please just stay with me another minute. This is important. He, because of his adultery, 
The natural consequences of all of that is what brought the turmoil into his family for the rest of his life. Did God forgive him? I believe it 100% because God's word's either true, he'll either forgive our sins when we repent or not. But did he have to live with the consequences of his decisions? Absolutely. And they were horrendous. Read 2 Samuel. Horrendous. But here's what I want you to see. God is not up in heaven throwing lightning bolts at you when you sin. The consequences of your decisions are not because God is throwing lightning bolts. They're the natural consequence of your own choices. Okay? But here's the thing. Even in the natural consequences of your own choices, God can bring blessings from that. And you can stand before God forgiven and you will be with him forever and forever. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why am I saying this? Because none of us are perfect. Most of us are sheep with a bucket on our head. Unable to feed ourselves and running into walls. But God loves us desperately and he loves us dearly. And if you've made mistakes in life, stand in line. So have we all. Here's the difference. Call out to God and ask for his mercy. Stop blaming other people. Take responsibility and let God forgive you and bring grace and blessing into your life as only he can do. This is the good news of, of, of the Bible. This is the good news of, of, of David. That no, in himself he wasn't good enough, but God is good enough. In yourself you're not good enough, but God is good enough. That we don't want God to be fair. We want God to be merciful and gracious. And he is. And he will forgive you no matter what you've done. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and forever. And that's the good news of the gospel. Heart after God. Heart after God. So we look in closing. We want to have a humble heart, a, a worshipful heart, a reverent heart, a trusting heart, a loving heart, a hopeful heart, an obedient heart, and a repentant heart. And God will take those with a bucket on their head and he'll take the bucket off and he'll use you in greater ways than you could ever ask or imagine and he'll use your your story to be a blessing to others for generations to come god has good things in store for you oh that we might all have a heart after god and all god's people said amen and amen thank you for listening to hope online podcast for more information about hope assembly of god go to www godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.